and it's usually they don't tell you when you're alive. You know, exactly. it could be an artist or something. It's the great, the people who are trying to be a great artist. But I'm, for anybody that you helped benefit, they know that. And That's way more important than, than their heart, than right? Ever. Right. If you can help one person, if you can right. be a hero for one person, then uh, that is probably the best chance you're going to get at yeah. being a hero in life. Hey, friends. If you've been following what's going on with us, this is a, this is a very painful patch of our lives. And, uh, and yet, as I've said, when I'm not crying or just kind of curled up, that, uh, that there's also so much gratitude that we have for the amazing life of our son, Augie, Augustine Charles Viator Mallinson. Uh, I'm a little bit pretentious <laughs> in naming babies, at least I was back in the day, but uh, we called him Augie when he was little. He was known as Austin. But he is a fine young man, an amazing guy. But one of the nice things amid tears that we've been able to do is go back through our archives of sounds and images and beautiful little notebooks that uh, Augie had. And, and, you know, we're finding these little moments that remind us how much we had. And most importantly, how our family really had this delightful blessing where we would hang out and just talk about ideas. And we would come up with book ideas and songs and crazy computer concepts. And uh, very often we would talk about history and the future and politics and spirituality. This is most importantly uh, a way for me to share with you a fun little time that we had together, me and Augie, where we just, the two of us, uh, put on a record that we were really enjoying at the time, Bon Iver, uh, 22 a Million. And we just discussed a question that I posed back to him. You know, he asked me, so would you call yourself a Christian? And we were kind of asking the question because of this, this kind of greater problem of Christianity obscuring the way and the teaching of Jesus and a deep healing spirituality that you can find in Jesus. But as Leo Tolstoy once wrote, the significance of the gospel is hidden from believers by the church, from unbelievers by science. Augie and I would not stand by everything that we discussed that night. That was the whole point. We wanted to just record the kind of conversations we had when no one was paying attention or was going to wrap our knuckles for heresy or getting out of line. But it's also a way to show you how some of the ways in which we've been enjoying looking into and reworking the Tao Te Ching was really interwoven with our conversations about really understanding what the sage from Galilee, Jesus, was about, and just basic philosophy in general. I just want to read two chapters from the Tao Te Ching. The first is just uh, to kind of give you a picture of the, of the world we were envisioning this one night when we were in our famous little uh, atrium where uh, Augie was able to enjoy a, a pipe that we got for his birthday from a, um, from a local tobacconist. And, uh, well, while sometimes young men, and I was one of them, enjoy smoking pipes and then kind of give up on it because it's a lot of work, uh, it certainly provided a nice context for that evening under the stars with the candles and um, the stillness of a, of a night, father and son having a conversation. Here's chapter 16 from the Tao Te Ching. Empty yourself... Embrace peace upon peace. The galaxies blast out from the center of the cosmos. 
await their fall back to the center. Living things sprout forth and then return to the soil. Returning to the soil brings rest and peace. Peace is returning to your true self. Returning to our true self is to be steadfast. Being steadfast brings utter clarity. Wavering brings delusion and catastrophe. Being steady involves facing reality. Facing reality is being unbiased. Being unbiased grants power over oneself. Having power over oneself is heavenly. To be heavenly is to surf the Tao. The Tao is everlasting. This is dying to your false ego and letting your true self emerge unscathed. That just helps me as I think about this idea of blasting out from the center and then coming back. There's this interesting way in the Tao Te Ching of thinking about the world in terms of what some people might accidentally think is a, a, a kind of Trinitarian thought, but it's not too far off if you catch what Augie's gonna talk about. And that is, there's this idea of the one. And then the one breaks into the two, the yin and yang. And then there's the third thing, chi. So uh, th this is something that'll come in handy as you uh, hear me and Augie talking. But then out of that blasts the 10,000 things. So you can think of it uh, maybe also in the, in the way Plato thought of it as this cora, this, this kind of hub in the middle of this, uh, this blast, like a, like a beautiful uh, kind of uh, firework of all of the moments of life coming out of that potentiality. In any case, what are we really doing? We're playing with mysticism. Is it heresy? Not really, because we're not talking about dogma as dogma that should be held on to, but something to be played with. Is it syncretism? Uh, the blending of religions? Not really. It's the playing with the various languages and mythologies of the world that have helped us to make sense of the world and to try to find a way to recapture the core of that or something important that we could carry forward today for the healing of ourselves and for the world. And what's really important about this is, uh, again, if it's, if it's not that Augie and I are talking about doctrine here, uh, what we're really doing is playing the way that Lao Tzu talks about uh, in every chapter after chapter one. Here's Lao Tzu chapter one, famous of course, the first line. The Tao set forth as dogma is not the everlasting Tao. This of course is uh, Stacy in my rendering, very often you'll hear it, the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. But the idea is, if it's doctrine, that's not going to be able to contain the whole of it. I'll continue with chapter one. Words cannot contain the infinite word. The nameless reality is the source of the heavens and the earth. The cosmos we can name gives birth to every living thing. Now, if you release resentment and longing, you can breathe deep resting in the sublime. Yet through desire, the material world arises and begins to dance. Though the sublime and the dance have different names, they share a common source. Grasping this mystery of mysteries opens the door to deep understanding. I remember one time we were camping in Joshua Tree and, and Augie just said, I think God is in the ice. I think I can see God is in the ice. This reminded me 
of something that Julian of Norwich noticed when she held a hazelnut. She could see all of infinity bursting from this one little beautiful organic thing. What he's going to describe is, we only call it once, I think, Trinitarian pantheism. And that was just a word that he was thinking just right on the spot as he was trying to formulate his thoughts. Again, he had asked me about whether I wanted to call myself a Christian, knowing that I was a big uh, student of Jesus. And instead of fully answering that question, I turned it back on him. And that's really what the, the nature of this conversation is about. For our purposes, this is what we call Jesus anarchy. The, the space that Jesus can carve out for somebody to be free to explore and be free to say things that maybe you want to take back and to make mistakes. Because perfect love, Jesus said, casts out fear. So uh, this is what it feels like to talk with your kid when you don't have that, when you're in that space that you can uh, just kind of play. And, and I always, uh, in these conversations, we try to be yes and sorts of folks where as people are exploring a concept, we don't try to shut it down too quickly. We usually all get excited about it. And then at the end, we decide uh, to dump the whole thing or uh, ignore that project or you know, realize that we were misguided from the beginning. Um, so that's that first part, and I, I hope you enjoyed it. It's, it's certainly something that I want you to take a look at and listen to, not for so much what we say, but how we're saying it and how we play together. And maybe in some way, uh, regardless of your beliefs, you'll be able to have those kind of conversations with your own loved ones. And then in the second part, I'm rerunning an older interview that Stacy and I did with Augie about mythical thinking and, and his idea that it was really important for us to have myth as a way to navigate our perilous times. And that while there are perennial truths that remain, sometimes it felt to him that the old language about faith and religion and meaning was often getting in the way of the way. I'm really glad you can be here with us. This is, this is a heavy, heavy thing for me to, to listen to and edit and, and share with you, but it, it means a lot to me. So uh, from our family to yours, um, much love and blessings. <laughs> All right, friends, this is uh, Jeff Mallinson here, and I got my boy Augie, and we are going to talk about our crazy ideas about religion. He asked me earlier on if... Uh, what I call myself a Christian, <laughs> which is what you'd think would be a weird question, given the fact that uh, he's asking me, and I'm a professor of theology at a Christian university, very conservative Christian university. So, uh, And I, of course, uh, I said, you know, yes. But what's interesting is um, not only the question being strange, but the, uh, the fact that um, I have to qualify it. And so then Augie comes along, and he's got this, uh, he's, uh, got this uh, way of uh, thinking about things. He's been kind of pondering some theological themes. And so I decided we were going to put on a little bony vare, smoke a pipe, and uh, I want to just hear whatever crazy ideas he has about uh, God and the Tao and religion. Why don't you chill with us? See if it's any fun. I think you might need to turn down the uh, the sound. A little you think bit. it's gonna be too loud? Yeah. Is this uh, the twenty-two a million? It's twenty-two a million, bro. 
That doesn't sound like the it beginning. Doesn't sound like it at all. Make sure you're playing the right music. This is in 20 years or so. Father John Misty. No, no, not Father John Misty. I mean, listen, we're a different story for a different Here time. We go. This is not the. That was not what I wanted. So. There we go. That's closer. That's closer. I'm just going to give it a little bit of a softer. As we make want. sure it's not uh, shuffling it. Make sure it's playing the whole album. Through. Would you? Would you tell me how to make that not happen? I just got to check the. There's usually the arrows in the bottom corner. I don't corner. want it to shuffle. Is this Spotify or is it American? This is actually really good. This is really good that we would be recording okay. this because this is kind of the thing that happens. Yeah, this is part of the fun. Is this... That's how it goes. Yeah, that, that sounds... That sounds I don't like, know. Even if it shuffles, it will have it'll, to deal with it. It'll work. Normally, shuffling is not the answer, but let's yeah. just, we'll just deal with it. Well, we want to listen to the album through. My biggest... One of my right. biggest problems, son, is that... Um, Honestly, one of my biggest problems is that I can't figure out how to make the stupid album go start to finish now. I can have any album in the whole world. Now, how come you like this album? I mean, it's obviously great. Yeah, um, the first time first time you put it on, I was ah, what's this bullshit? I know, you you were getting pissed off, dude. I yeah. kind of got pissed off a well, little I bit, get, too. I get, sometimes I get mad at your music Your ADHD is what your fucking problem is. Well... I get mad at your music selections because it's like, I mean, it, get, it gets a little bit old sometimes. So like, sometimes you listen mind, to the keep, same thing. Yes, you say listen to the same thing. You over say and over I say again. this. Do you know that this this freaking album? I don't want to hear this anymore. You I, put it on today. Dan put it on today. People keep putting on this dang. Album. It's a great album, but I didn't like it the first time All I right. heard it. I didn't like the first yeah. time I heard it. I think I. It's because you, you know. didn't catch the Dow yet, son. So well, we're gonna talk about the Dow. Once you listen to it a couple of a couple times, it gets better. But um. Appreciated. So, what do you think existence is all about, my man? Uh, yeah, it's a tough question. Um, basically, I think the way we have to look at it is a sort of pantheistic Trinitarianism. Trinitarianism. Um, I'm going to use some Greek god terms in here just to give a simplified version of the idea, but it's you have to put a name to it. I use the Dao. It's not. Yeah, it's not literally. I'm going to be referring to uh, the Greek Greek titans and such. And I don't mean them by the actual Greek Greek sense of it, but kind of by the idea they stand for. Um, <clears throat> basically, the universe around us, the whole outer existence, which is, uh, in, in many senses, the Tao itself, it's the ultimate creative energy. <clears throat> And basically, it's it's kind of like the the myth of Uranus, and that's why I call this version Uranus. It's it's similar to the the Yahweh idea, um, <clears throat> and basically, it is it's a sort of masculine force, and it is uh, it's the creative force in the universe. <clears throat> it's uh, it's creative, so it's power. It's it's kind of like the male version. It's, it's the male is what gives the seed to create new life and in a certain sense we are in the image of God and not that we look like God or that we are in any sense like God but we are gifted with that same creativity we are able to create things um, and that's kind of a deistic sort of stance where it's kind of impersonal and it's a little it's like almost destructive in certain ways too as like the circle of uh the ultimate Tao. It is the beginning and the end. 
Um, and then within that, then there is it's the friggin' Dies Irae. Yes, it's and the full judgment. And Even the just are trembling. The next level is what I'm going to call Gaia, and that is the Holy Spirit. In another, another way to put it, it is the way that the physical world interacts with the supernatural world, and that is where any claims of demons, angels, things of that sort Paranormal exist. It's, yeah. the, it's the messengers of God, and that is also where uh, corruption can occur. Too. Divination That's, could also be confusing. It could also be deceptive. It's where it's where um, Loki it's where dance. Satan comes from. It's where Loki comes from. Those kind of ideas, but it also is the mother. So it creates all these things. It's a sort of guanine. It's all the microorganisms living in the. In it's the, the feminist the amniotic force. fluid of, of Gaia. So if the Oranos is the male, is the creator, then there is the guy, which is the fertility, and it creates things. And it's not. It is nurturing. It is nurturing, but it nurtures. Uh, and at this point, on neither the Yahweh level, the Oranos level, or the Gaia level, can you prescribe any source, any sense of good or bad. That is not, you can't say it's either the two because it is transcendent from what can be good or bad. It is. It is well, do you the know what's Tao. The, you know what's on the cover of this album is a yin and yang symbol. And it's this idea that there's these, the, 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 the yin and yang is in Taoism all about this kind of just natural flow of these kind of countervailing forces. Yes. And so you don't really, you just got to get with it or you don't get with it. It's, it's just yes. kind of law of cause and effect. You don't yes. really, it just is what it is. And so existence exists because of the interaction of the creation into the nurturing. And... Um, from there, that's where you would see angels, like messengers of God, or you'd see spirits, things of that sort. Um, it is also where, like, the Holy Spirit, the Gaia, can um, enter the human world. There's, like, a permeation between the two. There's a permeation between every level that you can pass through in a certain way. Right. <clears throat> But this one is layered just above the human reality right. world. So the God, God in um, the spiritual sense, it's the Holy Spirit is just above us. It's like overlaid, right? In and the, it in the, the old, ga- in it's the gateway to the ultimate Tao. I'm just doing footnotes because you got the uh, in the in the book of Genesis first chapter the ruach is the holy spirit this feminine yes it's word, the that it says breath it hovers, of life it hovers like, over the surface of the earth and the ancient babylonians believed in tiamat this uh, this demonic woman from the sea that was that was conquered by marduk the power lord but the bible was saying no 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 it's not the world isn't created out of death in the sense of domination it's created as the, the this mother womb incubates life that then bursts forth out of creation and then then it's not until after the Holy Spirit is like incubating the earth that life bursts out so by the way you can't really have a literal seven day creation in that schema because it presupposes that there is this hovering so the earth it, it says that the spirit is hovering over the surface of the deep and then everything gets created so there's, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's multi-layered. But anyway, so keep and, going. And that is what gives life. So there's the ultimate crea- crea- uh, creative force, and there's the fertility force, right? Yeah. 
and then from there you reach our version of reality, like our existence. And uh, that that uh, Holy Spirit level, it can interact with this world, and that's where you see the overlapping of the real and the supernatural. The like, it, well, that's when you're entering kind of like that Gaia nurture, right? Mm-hmm. But in that nurturing, it is again not good or bad because it is beyond that. It is only nurture. It is, it is in a certain sense love. But it's a, a love that you give to your child. So, and it's not dependent on what the whether the creation is good or evil. It's beyond that. Yeah. It is just nurturing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mama loves you. And then you get. That's, and that, and that's, you're ugly. Mama loves you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna breastfeed yeah. you. And from there, that's where you see the Holy Spirit interacting with the world, being among us. And it's, it's overlaid. And I will say now as a Christian theologian, I will say that then the Holy Spirit empowers the church. Like in the, in the ideal sense, the temple of God is the body. Yes. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is what mm-hmm. is said. Mm-hmm. And then the body of Christ or the faces of God in the world. I mean, this is as, as silly as it might sound, the idea of this thing that Uva Simonetto started, the idea of um, the faithful masks. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. It means that the way you you find God of the world is by becoming God for other people. You're the face of God. You're the face of the restoration. That's what my yes, dad loves the word. My dad loves to talk about the garden, and he wants to be like Garth Walker. The idea of like the, the this guy that walks the gardener is walking through the garden, and the and Eden is where you are now at peace with yourself, God, and nature, and you're in this kind of perfect balance. And yes. Kind of, Kicked and out of that. Again, what you have to understand is that it fits in the Trinitarian view because uh, just Gaia is just as much God as the Oranos is just as much God. They are and the so same. Is the, and so is the born the same. born. And then finally, you get Jesus, right? The begotten. And that is where the... <clears throat> he's not made, he's begotten. The, yeah, yeah, that is the uh, where the Yahweh goes through and creates in the womb of the Holy Spirit and then into Mary bring, is brought into <clears throat> the human world. Get that mic closer to your face. Get the mic closer. Okay. <clears throat> He's brought... Say that again. So from... You get the Orono Spirit, the Father Spirit, Yahweh. Right. It breathes life into a certain part of the... Um, the Gaia. Into the, the Gaia spirit. The amniotic the, the, fluid. The, yeah, the uh, fertility-ness of it all. Right. And then from there, it is able to be brought into the human world. And from there, we are made in the image of God because there is the human God, the mother deity God, yep. and the and, greater. And, and we are reflections of all. And the Holy Virgin is in tune. She kind of becomes like Guan Yin. She becomes Gaia. Yes. Yeah. To give literal birth to the Logos, the very mm-hmm. the very pattern of the earth. Yes. The Logos is the Tao. Mm-hmm. So the Tao the Tao is outside of everything. That's the Father, and the Tao gives birth to the Tao through the Holy Spirit, through the Mother, and then the 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 Son then takes us. We then cling to Him. And then we then are able to return back to the ultimate again. And so that's kind of what the Eastern Orthodox Church talks about is theosis, or like deification. 
but you have to pass through what? Well, you have to go. What I was thinking about this is that, so Jesus comes to earth to die for our sins because if we cannot escape ourselves, our like our ego keeps us from being able to accept the, the Tao ultimate. or whatever it is, the ultimate, the Holy Spirit. It brings you all through it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And. If we are, if the sin is what is makes us so that you cannot see the truth, right? And then you cannot enter the what it will be heaven above you, and finally get to the greater spirit around it, which is God, and where you become part of this creative force, right? And that would be heaven, and hell would be stuck in the mother deity level, where you can't escape because. Out of there is also created evil. Yeah, you've like you've you let too much cling to you. You've not been released, and you cannot. Your ego is, you cannot is holding on to these. You're hoarding all of these pains. You cannot become part of the greater universe. And hell is the same as the world. Like if you see a ghost, we were talking about like it's like. A ghost, ghost is someone who still isn't is refusing the, to leave. It's it's still on the Gaia level. It's yeah. the spirit level above. They Earth. have not been sent on to where the heck. And that's where demons. Release. That's where that's where demons would be. That that's and where demons, demons and monsters and are. They, those that are clinging to this. Yeah, they're and like clings to it and like it viruses. Curses. Angels are the positive forces in the universe that come through and trying to kind of nudge us in the right path back to the Tao. Yeah, and but that all exists in that. Gaia sphere that's just above Earth. Yep. And the supernatural is what, what that would be. Yeah. How how on Earth would you know this to be true? <laughs> but it sounds so... Uh... You just have to uh, <laughs> take it by our word. <laughs> All right. Hey everybody, we're here at the Mallinson family home. It's almost Christmas. It's our last Christmas with the kids before they graduate. Augie's going to graduate. Augusta and Charles, Viator Mallinson. A.K.A. Frogstein. Frogstein. F-R-A-U-G. Website will be up soon. Doing some graphic design. But you were with me on the old podcast. You were starting out in the early days doing some of the sound tech. And you had, with your buddy, you were doing the music, the intro music. Mm -hmm. And you were on one episode about video games. That is true. (laughs) That That was was how many years ago? (laughs) It had to be a lot. He done grew up. Yes. And he's uh, almost graduating from the college, and that's really good. We're going to get to him in a bit. You're going to jump in at any moment. But for this show, we're talking about myth and the ways in which we need to get better at understanding how myth operates day-to-day in our normal lives and the ways in which that's not just for scholars. That's for all of us as we understand the way myth shapes the way we see the world, how we interact with each other, and how we think about politics and all sorts of things. With all that in mind, Augie was the other day hanging out with us, and he had a really interesting take. 
I think, on the, um, on the importance of something that happened with mind and body in the, in the modern world. So you go back to uh, Gilbert Ryle's writing in uh, the middle of the 20th century, uh, reflecting more on the philosophy of science and uh, the relationship between physical science and uh, psychological science. And his big problem was that he was complaining that uh, psychology was not really able to make uh, positive progress at the time because science had adopted a mind-body dualist um, uh, structure for the way you're going to deal with the world. So you see physics uh, and you have the nuclear uh, physics and uh, progress in that area. And then in the field of psychology, the expectation was that they were going to figure out how the mechanics of psychology worked. Uh, but ultimately, what Ryle points out is that that wasn't, that wasn't getting anyone anywhere. He identifies the problem then with this uh, separate understanding of mind and body as uh, separate but um, mirrored realms of knowledge. But what he ultimately comes to say is not that uh, this mind-body conception was bad, that it was... Uh, it wasn't evil. It wasn't evil, and it wasn't even... Uh, impractical. It wasn't impractical, but it also uh, was not in opposition to science. It was not a problem. It was a helpful mode of thinking. It was a helpful myth uh, for science for a while so that they could get to the point they were at. But his main point was that uh, at, it was no longer needed, and it was now starting to hamper mm. uh, progress. So his uh, way of looking at this as a myth is more that you have to look at the myths that you believe in and see how that might be affecting the way you're operating in the world. And just because you have a myth doesn't mean it's bad or good. You have to see maybe it worked in the past, maybe it's not working now. You have to keep looking forward. And that's really important for the field of psychology because in psychology, it starts out as kind of a pseudoscience with not too much interest in facts. You know, uh, Freud and, and Carl Gustav Jung are just kind of, uh, you know, sort of making things up as they go and really interesting stuff, but it wasn't always, you know, wasn't tied to Likert scales or, you know, clinical research. So that, that you know, is, is not too far off from the same question that we're interested in, Stacy and I, with with respect to what spirituality is, that in, in fact, there might have been a time when seeing the whole world as kind of animated by spirits, that, that works kind of well. And there's a lot that we gained through methodological atheism. That is like separating God out from our research and not really worrying about the soul so much, but treating the human being like a machine helps us to get medicines and things that we enjoy today instead of just, you know, herbal you know, kind of spiritual healing of, of, I don't know if herbal is the exact thing, but there's traditional medicines that involve more than just the scientific clinical study. And realizing that we are biochemical beings that, <laughs> that has an effect on what our moods and everything else, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we but, used to forget about that. But the key point to this is that uh, you have to make sure you understand that even if you're operating in the world a certain way, that is greatly informed by myth. And so the current scientific models approximate maybe the best way that they uh, are able to look at the world, but they're not that reality itself. Mm -hmm. You're still filtering it through these uh, myths such as like a Cartesian dualism or something like that, where you might be getting closer to the truth. You might even go back a little bit, whatever it is, uh, in a practical sense, trying to make practical uh, advances. But regardless, it's not as if you figured it out now. It's still a myth. It's a different type of myth. And so you can't forget that part. I think that last piece is one of the most important ones in terms of the way I think people come against 
over and over, they come against this, this anxiety that comes from not being able to get finality. That is, we watch the old fairy tales, and then everybody lives happily ever after, or you blow up the Death Star, and that's over. Wait a minute, a new Death Star comes, and you blow that up, and now we've got more, you know. Um, I think that's part of it, right? That's the, a very prevalent myth uh, in media, is the myth of, like, a resolution at the end, or something like that. And um, it doesn't sound exactly like a myth in the way that we talk about, like, ancient Greek or uh, Norse mythology, we kind of tend to understand that as maybe more as an ancient religion or some kind of cultural story. Right. We don't see how uh, we have very similar counterparts to uh, stories that we actually believe in, even if we don't believe in the literal details. So you, of course, don't believe that Star Wars actually happened. Right. You don't, you don't believe that these are historical events necessarily. But in the beginning, it says in a galaxy, uh, far, far away. Far, galaxy far, far away, within the myth, it's being presented as if it's true and as if it actually happened. And that's something that you see going all the way back to ancient mythologies. It's always presented as if this is something that happened. And you as the uh, reader, or the interpreter, have to kind of make sense of what that means. But you're not expected for, in the example of Star Wars, to take it literally. However it still represents a myth that many people actually do believe in. Right. So just because it's not true doesn't mean that people aren't actually living their lives as if these sorts of myths are true. Or you could say it wasn't historical or factual, but it is a way of but, understanding the world. You're living as if it's true. So it could exactly. be true and also not factual in exactly. a sense. Yeah. Exactly. So, so like with yeah. what Star Wars, what, the, the ultimate fight good of good versus evil kind of thing? And is, maybe there is an ultimate fight versus uh, good versus evil. evil. Yeah. Uh, but we don't necessarily know that for sure. It's a myth that is heavily ingrained within media and within other things, right? But that also is what's going on with, you know, are we going to see Star Wars anytime this weekend? I would like to. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Whoop, whoop. But, the, but the thing that's interesting about Star Wars is that there is this battle going on right now with the different chefs, you know, the different um, creators of these films kind of fighting with each other about what the myth is. And so you've got The Last Jedi, you're, you're saying, uh, no, we're going to burn down the temple. We're going, to, we're going to kind of almost discard some of the things that had crept in, like the, the myth that there's something special about a Skywalker. There's mm-hmm. that kind of Racial that, your blood, that your bloodline that. or whatever or, mattered. Or, right, or that you need the priesthood. And then they get rid of that one. Well, what if they, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen this weekend when we see it, but there, mm-hmm. there is, I think, already word that, that there is this kind of battle going on. For, for folks who didn't like The uh, Last Jedi, I think they're not going to like this. That's, what, that's, that's, what, that's what you read. But I, could, I can't <laughs> so remember we'll if that's find true. Out. We'll see. But see, why does that matter? And why do people get all fired up about it? It's because they actually believe in these myths, yeah. right? Well, and they and they feel like, yeah, somehow it goes down in history that this is the end, the way it ends, and then what did that myth tell us? And the finality of that, leaving it in that way, can either be soothing for some folks or extremely upsetting, right? <laughs> even when we don't know the language about mythology, we, even if we don't think about it critically, people at an intuitive level really, really understand what's going on. That's why people were angry when there was this, people thought, of, you know, a heavy-handed push for uh, egalitarianism and diversity in the more recent Star Wars film. Why does that matter? 
because what it's saying is this is the way the universe is. It's actually telling a story about the universe. Mm-hmm. And if if the you know if you can't kill Palpatine, like what does that say about the world? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a and that's a that's a heavy duty well, kind of thing. And kind of to that point, I was looking at some archetypes and things like that, and realized so archetype is very similar to myths and mythology. There are and, components of myths, right? That they are characters, if you will, that are a part of these myths. Described by Carl Gustav Jung, these are things that bubble to the surface through folktale and, and legends. So like a wizard, for instance, right. and you know what the wizard might look like. You probably automatically have an image that pops into your head when I say that. And he or, looks like Gandalf and Santa Claus and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and, and Dumbledore. Or think about a librarian, right. and they're probably somebody wearing glasses. <laughs> you know, there's different things like that. But I realized, too, even the Enneagrams themselves are basically archetypes, essentially, yes. that they see that there's some, there's some commonality throughout humanity, and then we're classifying these different little subtypes. Put and them into a story, and not only can you figure out how the witch gets overthrown by the wizard, you can understand how to deal with your aunt that's crazy. Yeah, you know, these are exactly. The but the thing that I really was excited to get Augie uh, to chat with us about is this show... This animated cartoon called Bojack Horseman. Bojack which just, Horseman. It made me feel like I, I just see it on the TV, and I think I've got the flu, and I don't want any of that. Netflix original, so... Tell me about this show, and what is it, what is it doing? Because you're saying that it actually has more... There's more importance to it than you might realize at first. I, I think uh, even if you disagree with the show, it is important in that it's, it's definitely delivering a message. It's not like a weekly let's forget about our problems and laugh kind of show. So it, it is saying something for sure. And that's on one level, uh, something that you don't always see a ton of in animated shows. Right. Uh, but what's uh, particularly interesting about it, and this comes from uh, a YouTube video we'll have to link to. I will link to it on protectyournoggin.org. Uh, because this is not all my original thought, but it's an interesting analysis. And important. And it has a little bit of spoilers about the seasons. It definitely does, yes. So if you don't want yeah. that and you want to watch the seasons, then do it later, then just but keep that in mind. It drives home the point uh, very well. The idea behind the philosophy of uh, BoJack Horseman is that uh, BoJack Horseman himself, the main character, is a uh, he was a star in the 90s in a sitcom. And basically now you're seeing his life after that, trying to uh, understand himself in the world. Uh, after this moment of greatness and now kind of falling into uh, being a washed-up former celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. And it, what it really highlights on is this cultural myth. It's been deeply ingrained through uh, various forms of media. And you see it from Star Wars. Uh, you see it from Harry Potter. You see it all around. But it's the uh, idea that at the end of the movie or at the end of the show or whatever it is, the example that they draw on heavily in the video is uh, like The Simpsons, where you have this uh, story arc that goes through the episode. But at the end, everyone's just about the same where they left off as they were at the beginning, maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That ultimately there's a happy ending and that there's resolution. One of the best lines from the show goes something like, closure is made up by Spielberg to sell movie tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so the show is tackling the sense of closure as as an easy thing to get. And ultimately throughout the show, you see these moments where Bojack, through his career, is trying to get this final closure where he's like, all right, I made it. I'm happy now. I got my Oscar. or I got my book published or whatever it is, right? But he's not happier. 
he doesn't have that happy ending that he lived through his uh, time acting in this show, where at the mm-hmm. end of the episode, everyone gets around uh, the Christmas tree and hugs, and Yay. it's all great, right. despite whatever happened. Uh, in BoJack Horseman, part of the crux of it is the idea that there's always a next day. And so there can be, you can enjoy that moment, but if you're staking your happiness on that final moment of closure, you're ultimately going to be disappointed when the next day you have to wake up. You know, this was a real life example when when Jeff got done with his PhD. It's like one of those things where you, something you've been working on for so long. Oh yeah. And then you you do your defense, and then it's like, okay, yeah, you got it. And I then was it's terribly sad. And then it's like, now what? You know? Yeah. So is happiness rooted in getting that thing you want, or? getting to that status that you want or whatever it is. And when you phrase it that way, it kind of seems uh, pretty obvious. No, things don't get you happiness or whatever. But nonetheless, that's still the cultural mythology that we've been telling ourselves for so long. Yeah. That even if it's not the material things that will get you happiness, it's whatever that achievement is or getting that job or whatever. Um, but it also turns around and it applies to negative periods of time, too. And this was uh, where it kind of goes from being maybe a cynical show to actually something that could be very hopeful. You might not have that happy ending at the end of the day. You might have a terrible day. But then when you wake up after a terrible day, your next day only can be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It can't be the worst day of your life. Right. That. It's, not, it's not all catastrophe or or the victory at the end of the Star It's about Wars. the up and downs of life and how that's a natural progress. And you can improve yourself. You can uh, work towards becoming a kinder person, uh, a more empathetic person. You can treat the people in your, in your life with uh, joy. And you can uh, try to do the best you can. But that's all you really have. You don't. You can't fix all the problems by getting to the a level of achievement that you want. And that's one of the most important things I think for this this uh, this thing we're doing on the show about protecting your noggin and toxic people. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, what one of the things that BoJack Horseman I think demonstrates is that somebody who is kind of an a hole, they're not just going to get better overnight. Exactly. And so you know, we say, hey, and if people aren't willing to do the work, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry. And like, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I know there's a lot of people, Stacy, in your life, there have been people that would do something really mean to you mm-hmm. and say, oh, I'm sorry about that. It'll just like, you know, right. I'm, I'll stop. I won't, I'll be better. That's the first step, but that's not the end of the, that's not the end of the episode mm-hmm. as you'd see it in uh, just a traditional sitcom. You can't get everyone around and say, oh, we resolved our differences I mean, it takes time. It takes well, and and words are empty. With you know, it it just feels it, it well, and it might be fine. So the first time, then you can feel like okay, I, I'm ready to move forward, right? But then they go and turn around and do the same thing again. Exactly, and, and then that's, that's what the show is definitely focused on. Is this, right. this idea that if you're going to repeat the same mistakes over and over again, then you're that's not kind of who growing. you are. That's who you are. Yeah, right. right. And we have, and that's the other thing that we have this image of who we are as a great person. Yeah, you think that you're good. There's a a really important section, I think, in the Tao Te Ching, and it's um, it's related to it's like fifty four, fifty five, fifty six. Those chapters are all kind of dealing with this idea that the Tao and enlightenment in the Tao is exactly what Bojack Horseman is talking about. It's this it's this daily grind. So, for instance, in fifty four, Lao Tzu says, "Foster de." That's like virtue. So I'll just say virtue for now. Foster virtue in yourself, and it will be genuine. Foster virtue in your family and it will thrive. 
Foster virtue in your town, it will be enduring. Foster virtue in the state, and it will flourish. Foster virtue all over the world, and it will be, it will be ubiquitous. What he's saying is, is that you don't just... You don't just preach, hey, everybody, let's, like, you know, let's be cool. Let's love each other. Or let's, you know. No, it takes a lot of work. It mm-hmm. takes, it, you know, because you were all saying, too, that this, this um, if you don't mind me jumping on, on a different subject, it's kind of similar. There's this idea that, you know, in the modern world, that old idea of the family isn't important anymore. Mm-hmm. And that you were kind of surprising me a little bit as being, a, like, a little bit more, like, family values in the sense, like, yeah. how, would you, how would you describe well, it? Well, I, I think it's funny. In a couple of my classes, I, I tend to be one of the more liberal people in the room, and, you know, that is what it is. But uh, it was funny because I was coming around to it, and I was saying, you know what, family values actually is one of the most important things that you can try to uh, go for in our current uh, culture and uh, society if you want to actually improve uh, the world. However, that doesn't necessarily mean what it meant to... right. Hierarchy, patriarchy, you, sure. dad owns the daughter. It's not that, but the, it, the importance of the nurture. And it doesn't have to be uh, a nuclear family in the same way. Like some people are going to be in a, a family with a single parent. And it, just because they only have a single parent doesn't mean that they have to be uh, excluded from this healthy home. You can do whatever you can with your situation to try to make it the best as possible. But that is partly dealing with this other myth that I think was one that really hurt society with the with the baby boomers to be fair of the baby boomers trying to find themselves so the baby boomers are trying to find themselves and then they kind of ignored very often the kids well-being there was a generation before that that you might have you know who knows i wasn't there but they were very active maybe they were a little strict so you went from this kind of this story of the strict parent that was like kind of in your business leave it to beaver kind of thing to then to then, you know, not not really paying attention to your kids, and so there is a little bit of neglect there, and I think we are living some, somewhat with the the repercussions of that. What happens in a family? We tell these stories, like we were we were hanging out with, like my sisters, my younger sisters, and uh, Augie and your fiance uh, Sydney. We were all hanging out, and I realized none of these kids knew the story of your great grandfather who decided that, you know, he lived through the Depression. He, he wasn't going to fix his hernia. He was just going to use a belt and cinch that up because he only had a few more years to live. And, and, uh, and so, like, here was this guy. He died as a millionaire, but he had the same carpet since the Depression. He, he had been, mm-hmm. in, you know, a, a madman. He was a, um, not a madman, but, you know, a, a, a Well, he would, he, would buy, he would buy everything based on what was on sale and buy a whole bunch of it. So stockpile on the things that he can get for a cheap price. He, and then he would, wouldn't want to throw away anything that had any kind of potential future useful value. And that's kind of, and that's mythical in the sense that it's important also for understanding then why, you know, like my mom was super into buying things on eBay, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have... Here's this guy who was not spending any money, and then right. my mom was going to spend money, and it doesn't make sense unless you see it in terms of this like this larger narrative. Right. And but then, as far as the BoJack Horseman thing goes, and I think this is this is really where I think this is important for you, the dear listener. That is that as we look at things that are in, enlightening, healing, helpful. One of the biggest frustrations I think, Stacey, you and I have both found is that we will have these insights. And kind of, you can call it enlightenment, you know, <laughs> just like these, these, wow, realizations. And then 
we're really down on ourselves and each other, I think, sometimes mm-hmm. for not living up to what we realized. Right. So we had this. We, we can well, see we the vision this. of this beautiful other side, right? But it's hard to stay there. And so when Augie was sharing with us about Bojack Horseman, the thing that happened was first I was sad because he demythologized my universe. And then I was happy because I needed a better myth. And the myth was one I think that, like Allen uh, Ginsberg would understand, when it's time to die, you die. When it's time to eat, you eat. When it's time to stand up and dance, you dance. You, you're living in that current moment, and you're doing the best you can with what you've got, but you can't kind of think of it as having been finished. The whole thing's finished, either the victory or the loss. It's, we just keep going. Well, in other words, you're not a protagonist. And that at first sounds disheartening. Yeah. But you realize it's also freeing. You don't have to be uh, the Harry Potter or the Luke Skywalker. You're, you're yourself. And you will, you'll have to live life as yourself. One, you can't put the pressure on yourself yeah. to be the protagonist. Me and Augie know this one. Problems. Me you and Augie know this one because Augie and I are both the oldest of the, <laughs> of the generation. And so, like, Augie was a little messiah. Everybody cared about Augie. Few, few kids in, nobody cared about them. I mean, you know, they care, but you know, it's like the same thing with me. And that I think would you say that that put a little pressure on you in life a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the idea that like any any one person, if you sit down to write a book, you might have this internalized idea that this book has to change the world, or that it has to um, right that it has to somehow add to uh, the story, right? And it um, will, and it but, will, and it. But realistically, not in this you're legendary looking, way no. that you're supposed to. Yeah, you can't try to be. I'm going to be the Dickens of uh, my era, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to be uh, legendary, right? And have all this impact. That's probably, according to Lao Tzu, the surest way not to become Dickens. Exactly. By the way. <laughs> but all you really can realistically hope for is like maybe you help three people. At Concordia, you have you you are the the student who who has taken over something that Dan Van Voris got started with Caleb Cargis mm-hmm. back in uh, back in the day. So I've been Ebono. the student, student coordinator for it's them. It's kind of an honors club, but you don't have to have specifically great grades. You just got to give a crud. Yeah, it's about talking about deeper questions, looking at what what are the what are you interested in academically? It doesn't have to be like a lecture, but more kind of an open conversation. So you had a com- you had a conversation uh, at a retreat. So we had a retreat and the theme was narrative and um, how these shape our lives and things like that. One of the most powerful uh, talks that one of the professors gave was how, uh, from an early age, he had uh, internalized this idea that uh, he had a destiny. Mm-hmm. That because uh, after surviving a uh, incident early on in life, he must have been kept alive for a purpose. Mm. There must be some reason why he needed to keep going on. Right. But, and ultimately, like that, that sounds positive. It sounds like, oh, like you're going to... Right. Find a this destiny. You're gonna find something uh, to live for, but ultimately you're just putting too much pressure on yourself. You can't live up to that. Mm. And the moment you realize that, it's very heartbreaking because you will realize it one mm. day mm-hmm. that your life is not a movie. Yeah, you're not going to blow up the Death Star, yeah. or you're not going to uh, save Hogwarts or whatever. Yeah. It is. Well, I mean, you might. You just might. Yeah. But there's no expectation that you right. I mean, I remember my, my favorite memory of Augie's wisdom when we were, oh, man, it's so long ago. I think I turned 33. We were in Colorado. We were kind of wrestling with the problems of, you know, whether I should stay there uh, or, or for political, ideological reasons, leave. Mm-hmm. And the first thing was great was I said, you know, Augie, what do you think I should do? And, of course, he always says, 
you know what to do. <laughs> and, but then he started putting, he put his little fingers on my shoulders and he was, like, he was like poking, he had two fingers on each shoulder and he was poking them, poking his shoulder. I said, what are you doing there, buddy? He says, that's what it would feel like if you had a conscience. Because <laughs> in the cartoons, you know, get the angel and the devil. And he, called, and he started calling them the shoulder dancers, right? Yeah, shoulder dancers. But the, the, um, but the thing that he said, and this was, and this was good because I was saying, I'm 33 years old, and I, I just I haven't done anything great. And that was that same thing. Like, I'm supposed to do something great. I was a child actor, you know, like that I remember. That I remember. Yeah, when Augie was just a little a little guy, we were driving on the freeway, five freeway south, you know, heading home, and you're like, I just have you know have this, you had this feeling that you were invincible, um, that for some reason you wouldn't die, right? Because I had this purpose. You I had this thing. purpose, and then there was a, a certain point in our lives when you were like, and probably around this time you're talking about, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, I don't think I have that same shield of protection that I felt yeah, like I had, true. you know, and, and that maybe I could die now type but, of thing. Yeah. And I said, and it was at this time I said, well, like, I think Bonhoeffer died at this point mm. and he had already written all these great things. And I mean, I'm still assigning Bonhoeffer texts to students and I'm 45. I don't think I'm going to have anything that people, you know, it'll be interesting here and there. Maybe you'll footnote me. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not, you know, it's not going to be something you study as part of your reader. And, um, that was bumming me out when I was 33 you know, I'm glad I got over it. <laughs> but um, but Augie said, "Don't worry, pops. If you were in Bonhoeffer's shoes, you could have gotten killed too. <laughs> you would have been fine. You just have to be in the spot. Like you know, like maybe you're just going to be a librarian. Maybe you're going to be a seminary professor that has to go rogue and create a, an underground seminary. And then maybe you have to, you know, get involved in a plot to overthrow your Führer." But you can't be living with that false expectation that you are the Luke Skywalker, the Harry Potter that has to be doing that. Because if anything else, you're just going to create problems for right. yourself so that you can yeah. overcome them. And perhaps society, by the way. <laughs> or, yeah, no, or like I could have, and, and, and I've seen people do this, have a martyr complex and then tr- like try to get myself in those spots. Stir up trouble now, for the know, sake of it. I would like to contend that I didn't lose my house in Colorado just to no, be a martyr. No, <laughs> I really enjoyed no. being there, and I, I really wanted to stay as long as I could. Right. You know, so I mean, I, but, but the, so. Yeah, that was an ethical choice that we had to make and, and move forward with, right? We make myths, and, and the stories we tell, we also, like, can do legendary things. I mean, I think that's important. I think sometimes every once in a while, not focusing, this is definitely what Lao Tzu would say, not focusing on being great is what makes you great. Mm-hmm. So being the person who, at the end of it all, you know, if, if Augie has, a, say, a three kids and they're remembering him at, uh, at, at a funeral, what they're probably not going to be as interested in is your big professional feats. No. <laughs> like, there, like there could be something that you did that was under the radar that you did over over. Well, the real, the real heroic things that you can most of the time actually accomplish are not going to be things that people will uh, give you uh, honors for. Yeah. Right. Except, as Lao Tzu says, at the end of it, then we celebrate. Well, you, you, you will, you will remember yeah, but you don't do it often. For that. Yeah. But he was, he, what Lao Tzu says is the stuff that people actually remember is, like, ultimately, oh, man, that person. And it's usually they don't tell you when you're alive, you know, exactly. it could be an artist or something. It's the great, the people who are trying to be a great artist. But I'm, For anybody that you helped benefit, they know that. And That's way more important than, than their heart. Than right. Whatever. Right. If you can help one person, if you can right. be a hero for one person, then uh, that 
is probably the best chance you're going to get at yeah. being a hero in life. And you're going you're gonna to neglect that opportunity and many more, perhaps, if you're always looking for the destiny. Yeah, wow. and you had, you had yeah. mentioned something very similar to this uh, in, you wrote a little piece in, in Dad's book, Sexy, <laughs> about your fiancé now, mm-hmm. Sydney, right? That this is true. I said, buddy, you're, I mean, w- she's been in our family for, like, years. Mm-hmm just turned 21 like you know like of course she's part of the family so this is this is a like years ago that you Mm -hmm. wrote this and i said you know you guys are pretty serious like we're she's part of the family now what what on earth like aren't you supposed to go and see aren't there other fish in the sea and he said dad that's not that's not really what you've been talking about in the book here you know like this isn't it but you you had a nice way of putting it i don't remember exactly how i put it but i remember the sentiment you said if there's only one great thing i did in my life and if it was that I was the one person in her life that didn't leave her behind. That was stable for her. Yeah. Like, if that was the one thing I did, that would be enough. And that, like, boom. That was, I, I was enlightened at that point. I mean, that was that moment where I realized right. what you're saying now is what you said then intuitively. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and if I had a certain idea in mind that I was going to go somewhere and do this great thing right. and All had a career path in mind that I was just dead set on. And if you weren't coming on board this train, then like, yep. I don't have room Sleep, for you. Baby. Yep. If I, if I would have had something like that driving my motivations at the time, I probably wouldn't have access to such a great relationship that has actually been able to carry on through the years. Yeah. You're, and you're shutting the doors for yourself. And she has brought so much to our lives Indeed. So that, and by the way, she was most of the time on the old Virtue in the Wasteland show. Sure, her voice was on there introducing mm-hmm. it. But we, we, we couldn't imagine the world without Sydney. You know, one of the great blessings of our lives was to be able to have this new person come in our family. Yeah, have a, the daughter that we never had. Yeah. And, and once again, if Augie had been too, caring, too, too concerned about his ego, he probably would have had a failed career at something silly that he doesn't care about now. And now he's just kind of bummed about it. Now you've you found things that you love, like graphic design mm-hmm. and so forth. Please check them out. Augie was the creator of the Protect Your Noggin uh, logo. podcast that logo. Yeah, that's right. And uh, there's a whole myth developing around whatever the heck that, that, thing, <laughs> that thing is about. So, uh, also, interestingly enough, I would never have gotten into graphic design if I wasn't letting myself be open to the possibilities around me and not yeah. if I was uh, too sure of your destiny, a, a destiny, then yeah. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have had almost the courage to say, um, I very much enjoy studying history, but I also will be open to other pursuits in my life as well. This is what we call surfing the Dow well, and the, way going with the flow. Yeah. And that all came about because you didn't want to end up graduating in December. You figured you can, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to uh, graduate be a full-time in May. student for one more semester. So I added a minor. And there you go. That's kind of the thing that really may be, maybe. It was very incidental, and if nothing else, it has enriched my life in many ways. So for that, I have to be grateful, right? Yeah, because one of the things that you've taught me is to have some kind of art. That's why I started getting into poetry, because I I can't draw the way you can draw. I just need something to channel my mind, and I want to write poems that are very short, because I'm too long-winded. So it forces me to constrain myself to find some peace, to get focused. You do this, you get into your zone, you put your headphones on, your sketch pad is out. And I think that's really a really important meditative practice. I, I wish you the, the, the best of fortune to have a, have a son like August. <laughs> we great, have great been guy. blessed beyond really measure. Uh, and it's going to be hard to see you uh, go off into the, into the sunset, but also really delightful because uh, that's, that's part of it. You can't. 
can't kind of hang on to things. But the legacies that we, that we leave, these are the things that are eternal in this world, uh, or at least very long-lasting. These are, the, these are the impactful things, the things that people notice. So thank you so much, Audrey. Yeah, thank you. It's been really fun to have you join us. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, here's the, here's, the, here's the main thing, though. We want you to make sure you know that if you are stuck in a situation with a bad relationship or uh, a bad religion, um, and the story that you tell yourself is one that was foisted upon you, right? Like there's a myth about who you are that's constraining. You can shake that off and, and make a new myth, re Retell that story. Revise that story. One of the other things you can do if you've been, uh, been through some trauma or been through something that's been very painful, you can't go back in time and change that. Not even the omnipotent deity can go back in time and change that past. What you can do is start to re-narrate it. You can tell the story and you can put it into a new story that is not yet finished. I named Augie after St. Augustine. Sorry for the big, long-winded name, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but Augustine's book, The Confessions, ends with the word opened. So he ends, you know, he closes the book with the word open because if you think that whatever the story has been up to this point is the end of the story, for good or for bad, that's a real bummer. What you want to be able to understand is the freedom and the, and the liberation that you've got right in front of you and the love and the wonder that is right here, right now. Right, right. Three, zero, right. All ahead, folks.